So if this is your first Sunday here, welcome. Here we are. And uh, you've come to a congregation um, that has been seeking the Lord on this really important subject of anxiety, anxiety and the peace of God. And today we will conclude this particular series. And the title of the message is, Jesus Says, Don't Be Anxious. Okay. Now the title is not, Don't Be Anxious. Okay. The title is, Jesus Says, Don't Be Anxious. Does that make sense? Let's see. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. I will be with you when you pass through the waters. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire. And the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior. Bethany's faith story, the psalmist's words, Isaiah's prophecy, they all remind us that in our anxiety, our security is not in separation from storms, but in the company of Christ. So anxiety is not something to flee from, but learn from, that we may draw near to God. The goal of this series has not been eradication. Seven steps for you to eradicate your anxiety. I've not found that sermon yet. The goal is not eradication, but self-relocation in the consolations of our mighty sovereign God. And so this week, we hear from Jesus himself in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to the New Testament book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. You'll find that on page 871 of your church Bibles. I'd be delighted if you do not have a copy of God's Word to call your own. Please take the copy in the pouch in front of you and receive it as a gift from our church family. And so we're going to hear from the king about this ever-important subject. And as, we, as I read these verses, I just want you to be thinking of three questions here. What is it that Jesus is saying? What? Secondly, so what? Well, what's his reasoning behind this? And then, now what? What, so what, now what? Luke 12. 22 to 34. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more important than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for the All the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is God's word. What's Jesus saying here? He's pretty clear, isn't he? Don't be anxious about your life. Quit it. <laughs> just, just quit it. I, I can't think of any counselors who would begin their session with a client the way Jesus did. Right? Just don't be anxious about your life. Counselors aren't trained to be that direct, at least not the ones I've been to. Jesus says, quit it. Don't be anxious. That's the what. That's the what. Now, now, you know, I know that sounds harsh, and it's in the imperative tense. And there are several imperatives in this passage of Scripture, like don't be anxious and consider and seek. Fear not. There's a lot of imperatives here. And yet at the same time, let's consider who it is who's speaking. Right? The sovereign, king of kings, and lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and dominion forever and ever and ever. Amen. So let's let that inform these words here. Do not be anxious about your life. Thus says the king. Now the word for anxious is a a word that literally means to be divided up into parts. To be dissected. So to be parsed out. And note here, this is in the present tense. The present tense. So, So in terms of the continual present tense, Obsession over anxiety, Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life. 
Anxiety shows up three times in the text. You see it? Verse 22, verse 25, verse 26. And then elsewhere, Luke uses the word. In 8.14, Luke 8.14, in the parable of the sower, some seed was sown on the soil and it sprouted, but the anxieties of life choked its growth. In Luke chapter 10, verse 41, anxiety shows up in Martha, a dear friend of Christ. She, she was anxiously being dissected for showing Jesus hospitality. She, she, was, she was trying to fix a, a Thanksgiving supper, and all he really needed was a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And, Jesus didn't require all that she was doing for him, and, and she was becoming anxious with all of the preparations. And, and he said, Martha, Martha, oh, dear sister, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled by many things. In Luke 21, 34, anxiety's effect is an anvil in your heart. So Jesus says, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighted down by the anxieties of this life. So anxiety, according to Jesus in these verses, is the outcome of, of being in too many places at one time. Anxiety wants to be in the future and the present. Anxiety wants to live in an infinite number of possible universes, trying to figure out which one it's going to be so that it can jump back into the present and plan accordingly. But the effect of all of that mental racing is distraction and fatigue, and you just can't keep up. And when you're anxious, you're distracted, and you're trying to be in too many places. And when you're anxious, your heart is heavy. Anxiety is a, a rope that chokes, an anvil that sinks, and a merry-go-round that spins round and round and round out of control. So Jesus says, please, don't, don't, don't be in a constant, continual, day by day by day by day by day, cutting yourself up into little pieces. Don't dissect yourself a little here, a little there, until there's nothing of you left. There's a Haitian proverb that says, the dog has four feet, but he doesn't walk in four roads at the same time. <laughs> now already, and I can feel this, a little bit of pushback. This just seems harsh. Once again, the title of the message is not Randy says, don't be anxious. The title is Jesus says. All right? And you say, well, that's easy for you to say, preacher. Well, maybe it is, but consider this. Those who first heard these were not Midwestern Americans in 2020. They were the working poor. They, they existed from paycheck to paycheck. They didn't have Social Security. They didn't have a government safety net. They were likely not citizens of the Roman Empire. They had no insurance. If it doesn't rain in my world, my lawn goes dormant. If it doesn't rain in their world, they starve. So if Jesus tells the working poor of his day not to be anxious, how much more for us? In this context of Luke chapter 12, when you see what's going on here, money is a driver for anxiety. Uh, earlier in these verses, glance back up at verses 13 to 21, you'll see that someone wanted Jesus to settle a family inheritance dispute, but Jesus refused. Instead, he warned about how covetousness and greed 
brings anxiety. It's like what one author said, money anxiety is always there. It says good night to you. It wakes you up at 3 a.m. It greets you in the morning. It plays with your mind. It's, it's first in line over your other anxieties. You know, am I going to get that? If I have it, could I lose it? So we become anxious about, you know, the right school, the right college, then finding the right job after college so we can repay our college. And then when we finally pay off our bills, we, we, we're feeling just a moment of light relief. And then suddenly the kids need braces. And then there's retirement. And in a bear market, we're anxious. When is it going to be over? In a bull market, we're anxious. How long is it going to last? And then our savings look good until you're about 75. And then it goes south quickly. We better die before we're 82. Or we're going to be in the poorhouse living with your kids. My, dad, my, my sons have informed me both at the same time. Dad, we have a really nice camping tent for you. I'm thinking that I'm going to want to live on a cruise ship. I think that's going to be cheaper than assisted living. What brings you anxiety? Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's relationships. Do I have true friends? What if I don't make the team? What if somebody else gets picked for that committee? What if I forget my lines for my play? What if I forget my sermon? What if I grab the wrong sermon when I'm leaving my office and I'm coming down and I don't realize that until now? I'm supposed to be preaching on anxiety. Why do I have the book of Numbers with me here? What's going on? And, I, and of course, you know, it's not like my office is like right behind there. It's, I've, got to, I've got to hitchhike to my office all the way upstairs and then, you know, I get up there and then I can't remember where I put it and then I'm... I'm, and then I'm going to try to get back here, but by then you're just all are so put out and disgusted. We're going to Panera for coffee. I don't have to put up with this. I get cold sweats about that nightmare. Will I ever find a spouse? If so, will he or she be faithful? What about my kids? What kind of adults will they be? How can I, how can I help them excel in academics? How can I help them excel in, in athletics? And everybody else is doing so much for athletics. What if they fall behind? What does that mean? What if they fall behind? And then just over the tiniest things, it's, it's, you know, trying to keep up, right? So Sarah and I were at this uh, dinner tasting event at uh, one of the shops over at uh, Old Farm the other week, and so we're sitting down, we're visiting with folks uh, uh, while we're tasting some of the different meals and everything, and, and the subject came up about kitchen gadgets, kitchen gadgets. And so I got curious, and the other person said, you're curious? You mean you don't have one? How is it that someone like you, how is it, how is it that you don't have one? And I didn't have an answer. I couldn't, I couldn't respond. I don't even remember what the kitchen gadget was. I just remember how I felt. Anxious. We should get one. I don't even know what it is or what it does. We should get one. Finances, fitness, friendships, kitchen gadgets. Any of those things can hijack your brain. I'm, let's do a little thought experiment for you. And just in your heart, all right? Complete this sentence. Right now, right now, I'm feeling anxious about. Huh. 
Let's give a Mr. Rogers 30 seconds on that one. Take a breath. Now, whatever you wrote or whatever is in your mind, the fantasy of control lingers in your anxiety. So, so, so anxiety assumes the possibility of controlling the uncontrollable. If I can just make enough, I'll be set for life. If I can just exercise and eat right, I won't get a disease. If I, if I can just learn the right parenting technique, my kids will turn out. If I can just create the right spreadsheet formula, the answers will pop out. The, the, the problem is, is that all of these objects of our anxiety, they're uncertain. They're uncertain. And we're trying to, we're trying to control the uncontrollable. Which means this, and this is going to hurt. According to Jesus, we're anxious because of something about us, not because of the things we're anxious about. That's why in verse 15, Jesus warned us to guard our hearts against greed. Because greed is a heart issue that brings anxiety. So, So money doesn't make you anxious, greed does. So if what you value most can be taken from you, you're setting yourself up for anxiety. Jesus says, please, do not be anxious about your life. Well, that that prompts a why. why. Why? Why? And he tells us why. Two words. Two words. Ravens and lilies. Um, Preachers like alliteration. Crocuses and crows. Okay? Right? Crocuses and crows. Crows. Let's talk about crows. When you drove to church today, I'm sure you didn't see any crocuses or lilies. But I'm sure you passed a crow. Or a raven. Later this year, you'll see both. Pay attention, Jesus says. Behold the crow. Behold the crocus. They're not just object lessons of an effective teacher. Listen to me. They are portals to another realm. They're they're like the wardrobe uh, in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, you... Enter that wardrobe, and on the other side, there's a whole other realm, a whole other dimension. And that's the way it is with crocuses and crows. Think about it. Every time you see a crow, every time you see a crocus, you're witnessing ultimate reality. So you drove to church today, and you saw a crow, and you didn't think a thing about it. There was. 
in the middle of Windsor Road, having breakfast due to some poor creature that didn't make it across the street. That crow didn't put a day's worth of work in his life. It doesn't have a Roth IRA. It lives day by day. It's a crow. It's not a little chick. It's not a baby robin. It's not cute. Crows are crafty and they're noisy. Crows are flying garbage disposals. They eat roadkill. They pick over your garbage and they never ever say thank you. Thank you so very much. Does anybody have a crow feeder? Nobody has a crow feeder. And you know what? They don't care. They could care less. Have you ever seen an anxious crow? Crows don't take Pepsid. Verse 24. Yet God feeds them. And God says, you matter more than crows. And Jesus presses his point. Verse 25 literally says, literally, verse 25, you'll see that in the footnote of some of your Bibles. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his stature? Cubit is the distance between your elbow and your tall finger. 18 inches. It's about a half a step. In other words, life is a journey, and being anxious won't add a half a step to the length of your life. So why? Crows and crocuses. Jesus is talking about wildflowers, the lilies that grow in unattended fields in Israel. Nobody planted them. Just God. How many trips have you and I made along the highway? Oblivious to the portal of real life. Right there, right there off the shoulder. Jesus said even Solomon in all of his glory was no match for their beauty. And verse 28 says, if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow thrown into the oven. Grass back then was used for oven fuel, for home heating and cooking. Jesus says, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. In the new heavens and the new earth, don't you realize you will be ablaze in glory? You, you are a never-ceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. And so if God so adorns wildflowers with glory... How much more will you dazzle? So don't obsess over the stuff of life. That, that's what the nations do. Verses 29 and 30. Don't seek what you will eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world, they seek, that is, they obsess after these things. And your Father knows you need them reason why we're so divided as a nation today is because we are theologically lost at sea. When you dethrone God from your life, something else wants to sit in that seat. And Jesus says, seek God's kingdom, verse 31, 
and these things will be added to you. He will give you what you need to live on if you need him in order to live. And more than crows and crocuses, verse 31 tells us God, God offers himself. Verse 31 says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Little flock. It's, it's the only time that in Scripture that Jesus uses that phrase. And that really that's really a significant phrase, especially since we've heard all these imperatives. Because this is how Jesus sees you. See, little flock. He acknowledges our vulnerability. He acknowledges our struggle. He knows that we struggle with this. So he's not trying to add to the struggle shame and guilt. And so if, if, if you're struggling... And when you're struggling, you need not add to that anxiety with the anxiety of you know, letting God down. You can't let God down. And do you know why? Because you were never holding him up. Amen? Jesus calls us little lambs. He's not, he's not being condescending. He's describing reality. It's one thing to be a lone wolf, but you don't want to be a lone sheep. So he says, I love you. I think about you. I'm with you. You may believe you have good reasons to be anxious, but Jesus says there are better reasons not to be anxious. And if your father cares for the crows and the crocuses, he's got your back. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And God's call won't take you where God's grace can't sustain you. So here's the big idea. Big idea coming your way. Instead of being anxious about what you can't control, trust your Father who is in total control. Trust your Father, not your anxiety. When anxiety speaks and when your father speaks, listen to your father. Some of you, as I was reading these verses, sensed that these verses are similar to something in Matthew's gospel. And you're right. These verses are virtually identical with Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Almost word for word which is a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is about human flourishing. Jesus wants us to flourish. He wants our lives and our families and our congregation to flourish. He wants us to make disciples of all nations. And anxious disciples, well, it's difficult to be an effective disciple maker. So he wants us to trust our Father and not our anxiety. Um, Michael Horton has written a very, very helpful book to me called Ordinary. Ordinary. And I'm going to preach to myself here for a moment, and if you want to listen in, please do. But Michael Horton talks to pastors because he says, well, let me just share. 
Um, he says, I think if Jesus were to return today, he might tell pastors to stop taking themselves so seriously. <laughs> he didn't say don't take God seriously or the Bible seriously. Don't take yourself so seriously. You know, the gates of hell are no small matter, at least for us. We're quite anxious. We have to do something about this. America's in a moral freefall. The media are persecuting us. Churches seem to be losing their way. Radical Islam is on the march, not to mention the perfect storms of famine and disease and war. And every time we turn on the news, compassion or anger is aroused to the point we, we become numb to it. And in the world of pastoring, the extraordinary impact weighs heavily on the heart. But here's the good news. It's freeing and it's liberating. Are you ready? It's not your ministry. It's not your church. It's not your people. So I don't have to create and protect a personal legacy. I just need to preach Christ's legacy entrusted to us by the apostles. I don't have to bind Satan and storm the gates of hell. Christ has already done this. I'm just sweeping in behind him to unlock the prison doors. We're not building a kingdom to be convulsed with violence like the other kingdoms. Ours is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The, the disciples had reason to worry about the world's opposition. Their king did not allow his little flock to carry weapons. However, Jesus said to them then, and he says to us now, Fear not, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And once we're convinced to the core of our soul that Christ has already secured the victory of Satan, death, and hell, we can take a deep breath and be the little flock that he's already redeemed, doing what he's called us to do. It is marvelously liberating to no longer imagine that we have to build and preserve the kingdom that Christ wasn't building in the first place. I needed to hear that. Now, Paul's already said it, 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So the treasure is the gospel ministry, not the minister. Trust your father, not your anxiety. What, so what, now what? All right, well, go back to what was in your heart when I had that 30-second exercise, what are, what are you anxious about? Name it. Name it. If you don't give the anvil on your chest its true name, you can't start. you got to name it. And now, we're going to do another 30-second exercise. Here it is. From Jesus' words in these verses, if I can remember blank, I'll be a different person this week. Okay. 30 seconds. Again, what did you write? If I can remember blank, I'll, I'll be a different person. If I, if I could just remember, I, I wouldn't be consumed. 
with anxiety over money or health or friends or kitchen gadgets. And then, so name what you're anxious about. Name what you need to remember. And then, and, and listen to what Jesus says here. Verse 34, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So, so are you anxious about money? Well, then be generous then. See, see if you want to save your life, you've got to lose your life. If you want to live, you've got to die. If you want to overcome anxiety about money, be generous. Care for someone else. Be selfless. Give financially to God's work through this church. There's always some way to give. You can worry, 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 or you can share. You can share. Anxiety teaches us what it is to trust, to actually trust in God. Because of all that is uncertain, there is more that is certain. And verse 32 tells us what's certain. It is the Father's good pleasure to give his kingdom. Think about that. The best thing you could ever want, you will never lose. All the stuff we worry about is stuff we want but could lose. That's why we worry. But the best thing that we could ever want, because of him, We'll never lose, ever. And therefore, we can share. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Beloved church, it is our Father's good pleasure to give the kingdom. Jesus says, don't be anxious. Trust your Father, not your anxiety. Amen.